We all know the damage that fires are capable of. What we don't always understand is the cause, behavior, and what to do in the aftermath of a fire. Today, you'll understand these aspects just a little bit more. Welcome to Speaking of Fire with Mike Schlattman and Donna Ingram. We will give you tips on fire prevention, how to deal with insurance matters, and more. Now, here are your hosts, Donna and Mike. Hello, and we can welcome to Speaking of Fire. This is your host, Mike Slapman. I'm honored to be a past president of the International Association of Arson Investigators, and I've been a fire investigator for uh, about 46 years now. Tonight, uh, today, we're going to be in, uh, I'm in uh, New York City um, on East 39th Street uh, calling in, and uh, last week I was in Cape Coral, Florida, so I'm moving around so that I'm like a moving target. I have a wonderful co- yeah, I got a wonderful co-host, and she's about to introduce herself. And this is Donna Ingram. I have about 30 years in fire and fraud experience, and I'm a past director of the International Association of Arson Investigators, and welcome to Speaking of Fire. We are fortunate today to have the guru of commercial kitchen fires, Phil Ackland. He's been in the commercial kitchen exhaust industry for over 45 years. He sits on the National Fire Protection Association's Technical Committee for NFPA 96, Standard for Ventilation Control and Fire Protection of Commercial Cooking Equipment. He's written a series of books on commercial kitchen exhaust systems covering installation, inspection, cleaning, and fire investigations. He offers training seminars to building and fire inspectors, fire investigators, and insurance professionals. He conducts fire investigations and provides litigation support testimony related to fire incidents and commercial kitchen exhaust systems. He assists authorities having jurisdiction to develop and implement certification programs for kitchen and exhaust cleaners and inspectors. And Phil, welcome to Speaking of Fire. Thank you very much. Nice to be here. Well, Phil, we've been, we've been uh, friends for a number of years, and uh, in fact, I attended along with Kirk Hankins, who works with me, um, one of your um, your seminars. And uh, well, actually, it was intensive training in Louisville, Kentucky, uh, trying uh, we're training uh, ten of us to be um, uh, representatives of you throughout the country. Um, how did you How did you get into um, uh, to working with commercial uh, kitchens uh, at all? Well, I started in 1966, and uh, the fellow who employed me back then, I was a teenager, and the fellow who mm-hmm. employed me actually uh, had been a teacher uh, at a high school, and uh, he found out that the janitor was making more money than he was. So he shifted fields and uh, did some research and found that this sort of work, this cleaning of the grease that was accumulating in restaurants back in the 60s uh, wasn't being cared for, so he developed a, uh, a business of cleaning. And from there, uh, I was just a, just a kid, just a worker, but his passion for education is what really infected me. So over the years, I watched as he conducted uh, just, you know, one-hour seminars to the fire departments, just explaining to them how the uh, kitchens worked and how uh, NFPA got involved with it. And uh, it's just through Jerry's passion, I think I inherited that, and I just developed a passion for learning. Over the years, I, um, I, I, say I, I, I use the expression, I crawled out of the duct, 
and uh, <laughs> what I realized that there was a need for this sort of education. One thing led to another, and I started imitating what Jerry did in terms of training. And then I was invited, I guess impress somebody, because I was invited to sit on the NFPA 96 committee uh, back in 88, I believe it was. And uh, I made something of an impression with my practical application that uh, many of these fellows hadn't really looked at before. And uh, again, one thing led to another, and we just continued to adopt our experience to that learning experience, and uh, the educational side of it continued to expand. And uh, today, after now actually 51 years, um, educating is what I still like to do. I can do in my older age, and just sharing the experience and the the knowledge I've developed over the years. So um, that's the way it worked. I started out on a practical side and then slowly developed uh, relationships with people like Mike and Kirk and many others, uh, good, smart men and women in the field, and uh, they were kind enough to share their expertise with me, and uh, so I absorbed some of it. And uh, to that end, I was able to put together the manuals that you're, you mentioned earlier and uh, some other means by which we train people so that they can yeah. better understand commercial kitchens. Right. You even made a video for, um, for um, well, not only cleaning, but for inspection and stuff. Um, and you, you had that out there for a number of years also, haven't you? Yeah, they're out there. Uh, there's a video on inspecting commercial kitchen systems. The, 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 there's not as many investigators as there are inspectors. So just there are probably 55,000 uh, fire inspectors and roughly an equal number of building inspectors uh, in North America. And really they don't have much of a knowledge of these systems. And if those building and fire inspectors can get it right uh, and see to it that the installers and manufacturers, more of the installers really, install systems appropriately, then they should withstand the force of a fire. Unfortunately, that doesn't happen, and uh, so you get a lot of um, weaknesses in the sort of the chain. And uh, so that was... That's probably the primary area where we do our educating is with inspectors, uh, fire investigators. They're a little different, uh, different breed of cat. Uh, now you're in, in Canada, correct? And, I am. But you travel throughout the world? Yeah. I, I have dual citizenship. I'm American and Canadian. That's great. Yeah, it's handy. It's been handy. i got to pay tax in both countries, but... Uh, oh, <laughs> But that, well, that's okay if I can make the money. That's right. Well, you you have uh, I know you've been on multi million dollar losses all throughout the United States, and uh, and I I am honored to be your alternate on ninety six. I really appreciate your asking me to do that, and uh, and NFPA of course approving me. But I'm going to tell you that I know that you made contributions to the document also, and uh, and. Uh, I know how many how many fires do you think there are commercial kitchen fires throughout uh, I guess North America in any one year, Phil? Well, I think there's there's two classes of fires in commercial kitchens. There's the ones that are reported and the ones that aren't reported. Um, right. Probably in the neighborhood of oh, easily five thousand. 
the number actually has been going down from what I recall from the 96, excuse me, the NFPA st- uh, statistics. And that is primarily due to the uh, improved standards and the, um, the insurance that those standards are being followed when installation takes place. Because an exhaust system is supposed to withstand the fire uh, to a degree. But uh, in many cases, it, it fails because of the not so much the installation, but the, the after-operations maintenance. Or, uh, well, I'd just stick with that one for starters. There's uh, other right. subcategories, but the primary one is the lack of maintenance, whether it's the... There's a, a large number of what they call engineered systems now, which are mm-hmm. listed systems that have water controls within or some kind of special UV lighting, ultraviolet lighting that is supposed to uh, remove the grease. And if those things aren't maintained properly, then the problem actually becomes worse than it was in the first place. So that's, mm-hmm. that's where the lack of maintenance. And then, of course, just simple you know, garden variety grease removal uh, is probably the biggest one. So those are, and then maintenance to the fire suppression system too. That's another one that's that's a key element to why fires that flare up expand on beyond what they should be, what they should have done, and how they should have been controlled. There's failure because of failure on the part of maintaining the system. Well, do do your uh, your, your um education of me, actually. Um, I've been in many, many commercial kitchen fires, and frankly, I've been in too many commercial kitchens that I, after I went in there, I didn't want to eat in those restaurants anymore, to tell you the truth. But, um, but there's a lot of, um, a lot of things to be uh, learned about the systems themselves, and one of them is that there are protection systems there that have uh, different components that if there is a fire on the cooking line, then, uh, then a, a, a particular um, system will uh, activate to try and put it out. Can you kind of like explain a little bit to uh, the general listener here what those things are like? Uh, I mean, the fusible links. What what happens? What happens when when there's a like a fire in the cooking line, Phil? Well, with any with any uh, grease producing appliances, you have to have uh, what they call an NFPA 96 rated. Uh, exhaust system and fire suppression. So you have it's a twofold thing. You have to have the exhaust. You've got to get the air and the carbon monoxide out of the building, or everybody'd be dead. Uh, or, or and if there is a fire, you have a fire. Well, it's a, they call it. Some of them call it a, a suppression system because they don't want to admit that they can't extinguish the fire. They also call them extinguishers. Uh, the words are relatively interchangeable, but I- every grease-producing exhaust system has to have a suppression system, and that suppression system essentially is, is really a fairly simple mechanism of a detector which uh, tells the system that uh, it's gotten too hot in here, which then activates the the system. It trips uh, the 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 suppression system which consists of a, of a suppressant tank and a, a charged, uh, such as nitrogen or something, to pressurize the, a tank of suppressant. And once the detector tells it 
uh, to go to work, then that nitrogen compresses and sends the uh, suppressant out through a series of piping, which should spray a particularly a particular chemical onto the appliances and up into the ductwork, where it suppresses, the, hopefully extinguishes the fire. Now the problems are multiple. Uh, when we have a fire that is now a loss, uh, why that didn't happen? And that's one of the areas of my my probably strongest expertise is I know how fire suppressions don't work and uh, why they don't work. And mm-hmm. that's what generally creates uh, a, a serious fire loss because if the fire suppression worked, then basically all the kitchen is looking at is a mess that they have to clean up as opposed to, say, a great big hole in the roof where the fire took it out. So uh, it's the less, very, vastly the lesser of evils. Uh, if the suppression system functions as it's properly designed, and they are suppression systems are are uh, very very well tested. The UL 300 standards are very capable. I've watched over the years since the 80s the development of far more sophisticated and uh, better testing on the part of the uh, underwriters' laboratories to ensure these uh, suppression systems will function is designed and they will put out a pretty serious fire if they're properly maintained and that's the big proviso so that's how they that's how they're supposed to put the fire out but of course these things and i'll go on a little bit uh, the functionality of it is there's a manual pull and there's an automatic if the kitchen staff because there's all of a sudden there's this flare-up or fire and they sort of almost naturally get a little <laughs> hysterical, and they may do all uh-huh. kinds of different things to put the fire out, uh, one of which is to valiantly grab a, a fire suppression, a portable fire suppression tank, uh, and start squirting whatever. I had one fire, a massive, took the whole hotel down, uh, and the guy got himself you know, in, in trouble. He got a bit burned up because he was trying to put the fire out with a a CO2 portable, and the CO2 uh-huh. portable was spraying ice cold onto the fusible link, preventing it from heating up enough to dissolve and then tell the suppression system, the main suppression system, to function. So it, the, the, the training of the staff in a restaurant to know what and where and when to pull the manual pull is just one of the most pivotal things that restaurants and now the 96 is getting involved with this in terms of requiring restaurants to train their staff um, so it's it's a very important function uh, of the suppression system is to use the manual pull if you have a fire so, right and they don't go ahead, they don't. Go ahead Donna. Oh, no, I was just going to ask you that very question about uh, what mandates that and who's the authority over that. Well, the, the owner of the property is the authority in terms of, well, I say authority, is, you can, that word has many definitions. They're not mm-hmm. much of an authority, but their responsibility is that they need to inform their staff on the proper functioning of the suppression system, and that's their responsibility. Now, a fire suppression company serves themselves, and this is only my personal opinion, but a fire suppression company serves themselves well by ensuring that the staff has 
some somebody on the staff every time they go in and service uh, a fire suppression system, which is generally every six months, uh, that they show somebody. I, I know jurisdictions. Uh, I was just on the, uh, the lower mainland of Vancouver, Canada, and taught a course last week. And down there, the vast majority of municipalities uh, require that the suppression servicing company show at least one of the management uh, of the restaurant kitchen uh, staff uh, how these systems are supposed to function. So, because you have a lot of turnover, of course, and they're not the highest paid individuals. So, every six months, at least somebody in management is shown how this thing should work. Uh, that's just a practice that they have that they've instituted over the years. I because I live in that general area of Vancouver, they are, you know, they're pretty proactive down there. So uh, it's made a difference. We don't have that many fires, but that's a practice that you know municipalities could put into effect if they wanted to, and and, and FDA ninety six encourages. So uh, it's there if you just pay attention. Well, it, it's also, um, and I I learned this from you actually. There's some there's some employees that are afraid to actually do that, to actually pull the pull station because they're afraid they'll get discharged, they'll get fired for doing that um, because it's going to shut the, the uh, restaurant down for a while. Um, That's right. You've, uh, yes, and so, <laughs> in fact, I think you had a photograph of one that, uh, uh-huh. did you not, that had a sign above it or something? What did it say? Yeah, it's in the, it's in the, it's in the guide. Uh, it just says, uh, get fired now or something. <laughs> I can't remember the exact wording. I just used it actually in the PowerPoint in the class that I taught last week. Um, but yeah, get fired now button or something. It says on. It was written in in irremovable felt pen on the wall next to the what they call the D ring pole, which is the uh, the manual pole for the fire suppression. So it's a it's a wow. it's an attitude thing. I mean, uh, management thinks that the and I may be and again this is only a. A, a cynical opinion, but ma- some mm-hmm. management might welcome a good fire. Let the insurance company buy them a new restaurant. Uh, yeah, not everybody, of course, but uh, uh, let's just say experience teaches you to be somewhat cynical when it comes to these things. Yeah, it's it's really true. Yeah. So anyway, yeah, that's fire suppression systems. If if they were to function properly, one of the things I I share with with the the folks at the classes is there's a difference between a controlled burn, which is cooking food, which every day, uh, mm-hmm. controlled burn and uncontrolled burn, and and stoves are that's where excuse me that's where controlled burning takes place. We we eat our food hot, and the only way to get it hot is to add heat, and it's when that heat gets that we're uh, we've got a problem. So uh, uh, and then we get an uncontrolled burn. That's where the suppression system and a properly installed ventilation system comes into play. Uh, and uh, that's why fire investigators have a job is because so often that uh, that chain of safety valves breaks. Those, That's those right, and right. so with these fusible links, which are above the uh, above the cooking uh, line, 
they be they're at different they melted at a temperature a preset temperature and they released uh, a cable which fires the cylinder which puts the suppressant onto the um the, yeah. the line uh, the the cooking line above and and these these nozzles that are above these um uh, hopefully they're they're pointed in the right direction and uh and uh, one of the things that I've encountered here and I know you have Phil and we'll talk about and we're going to talk about a couple different things so one of them is that that sometimes people move appliances uh, and I'm talking about the 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 restaurant owners they'll move appliances after the uh, pre-engineered system is installed and they'll move them around and then suddenly there isn't a nozzle in the right place is that correct that's right. But that's why the suppression company is supposed to come in every six months and see to it that they're in, in basically put back where they belong and right. uh, ensure that there's some degree of, I mean, you've been around a long time, Mike, and you know there's, there's yeah. little or no cure for stupid and, yeah. <laughs> and, and slovenliness and, and people who think that they can cut corners and there's no price to be paid for it. And that just... You need to get away with it sometimes, and sometimes you don't. And then when you don't, you find somebody else to blame. So no, and that's, no. the, that's the nature of the game, and uh, that's it happens in restaurants all the time. Their their locations, you don't think about it, but a, 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 an active restaurant is a very, very busy place. I've been to teaching school uh, where they teach cooks, because we service their suppression systems and their exhaust systems, and... I mean, they teach people to function in a very aggressive environment where people are yelling at people. The instructors are yelling at you and making demands, and that is the nature of a busy restaurant because people want their food. They want it now. They want it fast. They want it hot. And they want it right, and, uh, and you are responsible to see to it's delivered. Maintenance takes a real backseat to that because so, it doesn't really make you any money you know, in the short term. So the no. the whole concern for how suppression systems work, it's lost on a, a great majority of, uh, at least in my experience, of, of uh, restaurants. So, again, mm -hmm. that's why there are fires. One of the reasons. Yeah. Well, you know, um, it, and it, it's the responsibility of the the business owner, the restaurant owner, in a lot of cases. Um, you know, I know that there are suppression, I mean, I'm sorry, there's cleaning companies that want to clean the, uh, the ductwork, uh, properly. And, uh, and some of them, they're resisted. Uh, you know, they say you need to clean this more often. Uh, I'm, I'm thinking of a few of them that I've worked in the past where they're open for 24 hours a day or 20 hours a day or something. And, uh, they don't want to shut, shut down long enough to clean them. And no, you run into that, don't you? Oh yeah, that's well. That's where I started life uh, was cleaning them. So I know all about that uh, as far as the attitude of uh, the you know, generally. I mean, if their lack of attention to the fire suppression system is is minimal, their interest in having their exhaust system cleaned is even less because uh, it doesn't make them any money. It's just a necessary nuisance. Uh, it, you, the customer, I mean, when you have your carpet cleaned, the, the customer at least gets to see a clean carpet, whereas with the cleaning of the exhaust system, nobody knows what was done. And partly therein lies the problem. Uh, restaurants don't want to pay very much for it, 
And so there are those who are somewhat unscrupulous who will come in and essentially cheat you for less money. And uh, they'll give you some tag which will fool the fire department into thinking that this uh, exhaust system was cleaned when, in fact, it really wasn't. And uh, everybody's just, you know, hoping they get lucky and they don't, uh, they don't end up with one of these fires. Now, that's, having said that, there are associations now of exhaust cleaners who have gotten themselves organized, and they have tried, they are trying to improve the field. But again, the, 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 the prevalence of, uh, of attitude towards this sort of maintenance makes it a very, an uphill battle for these, uh, these people. There, there are certain certification protocols. Uh, and if restaurants, in fact, if, if insurance industry would simply take an interest in, in insuring, forgive me, but uh, ensuring that these systems are properly serviced by people who at least claim uh, they put their name on a piece of paper saying, I will do this properly, according to NFPA 96, uh, you might get a better job, but uh, you, what you will get is someone who, if there is a fire, has committed mm-hmm. to having done a better job, and if it can be proven that they didn't, then uh, it won't be as expensive to sue them. So, because uh, they've, yeah. they've committed right. to the to having us, you know, what do you call it, a standard of conduct. And if it can be shown that they failed in that, well, that makes it a little easier to just, you know, because it lays down a precedent, as, or not a precedent, but a protocol that they they said they would follow. And many do, and they, that's, the, I want to be positive about this, not negative, but there are, the same with the fire suppression, there's uh, associations that also, it's the same thing with them, They're they're trying to, Keep a, 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 you know, a standard of care that is appropriate for these systems. Mm-hmm. Right. We need and, to go and ahead and take a break. And uh, when we come back, I want to ask you a little bit more about that, but also talk to you about your book. So let's go ahead and take a break. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Fire Consulting International provides consulting and expert fire origin and cause investigations. Our experienced, certified fire investigators have specialized skills to meet litigation requirements. We also provide peer review of reports for other investigative firms to assure they meet NFPA guidelines and ASTM standards. Educational classes and CEU classes are also provided. For professional investigations, contact Fire Consulting International at fcifire.com or call 913-262-5200. FireAnalysis.net offers cutting-edge, comprehensive programs unique to the insurance industry. Our vendor vetting assures regulatory compliance with the Sarbanes-Oxley Act, NFPA guidelines, and ASTM standards. We ensure that investigators' reports are in compliance with those standards. We also offer comprehensive programs to assure compliance with your company guidelines. Please contact FireAnalysis.net. That's FireAnalysis.net. In the spirit of Have Couch Will Travel, 
Dr. Carol Lieberman creates a haven of sanity in an increasingly insane world. Each day we are bombarded with news of events that have never crossed our wildest nightmares. Society is spiraling out of control and everyone is reeling from it. But now there's an answer. The best way to keep sane in this insane world is to tune in to Dr. Carol's Couch on Voice America. Dr. Carol, a certified media psychiatrist, will broadcast live from her Beverly Hills office every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific time. Call or log in and get help with whatever is sending you reeling whenever you need a soothing voice to calm and advise you. That's Dr. Carol's Couch every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific time here on America's Voice, voiceamerica.com. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are listening to Speaking of Fire with Mike Schlattman and Donna Ingram. To call in to today's show, please call 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to connect at speakingoffire.com. Now, back to this week's program. Welcome back to Speaking of Fire. Thanks for joining us. Uh, before the break, Phil, we were talking a little bit about uh, your series of books, and I just want to make sure that we get out there where anybody can get a hold of you. Well, I have, yeah, I, I, I've heard of you on previous shows. You mentioned that <clears throat> it's not Phil Ackland training. That was a, a previous life that I had, uh, which <laughs> I'm not involved with anymore. And uh, it's philackland.com, and uh, we we have the manuals available there for anybody who might be interested in them with interested in them but probably the primary thing we do is uh training courses uh which we charge for they're not free but we're not affiliated with anybody so we pretty much uh aren't trying to sell anything for somebody else so uh the training course and of course i do some uh, i still do some uh, consulting for fire investigators uh, but only when I uh, when I'm interested in it now. I've slowed down quite a bit. So those are, well, you can find well, anything you tell- want on philacklin.com. Yeah, you might want to tell them how to spell it, Phil, because people don't always know how to spell your last name. Uh, P- <laughs> okay, uh, P H I L A C K L A N D Ackland A C K L A N D dot com. C O M. Thank you. Okay. Okay. So I'm going to have to take um, I'm going to have to take a break here for a second. So you go ahead, Donna. Oh, okay. Well, we something we talked about over the break was uh, solid fuels. So mm-hmm. let's talk about that a little bit. Yeah, the, there's three primary sources of fuel. We talk about it in the guide. Uh, Electric, to, to, when it got two types of fuel to heat food, electric, gas, and uh, solid fuel. Solid fuel, of course, is a, uh, um, I hate to use the word flavoring additive, but it, it, uh, it's something we use for, especially on meat. High-end restaurants will have solid fuel uh, uh, grills, and the problem with solid fuel is that it adds not only to the grease 
but also it adds ash from the uh, the wood. And I'd like to back up a little bit. Uh, mm-hmm. The problem with grease and the reason we get grease in the exhaust system is because of the type of cooking that we do. Uh, there are three or four different ethnic types of food that actually accumulate different kinds of grease in different ways. Oriental, for example, has a very sticky, uh, oily grease, which is almost uh, like a thick oil, and Mm -hmm. it also dries and hardens, whereas foods that have a lot of sugar, uh, such as, and I don't mean to pick on anybody in particular, but like McDonald's, apple pies, and whatever, those deep-fried items, uh, that sugar causes a real solid, <clears throat> like, excuse me, like a, a shellac-like material. Mm-hmm. But the real bad boys are just your gas-fired hamburger grills or steaks or meat. Uh, fish is actually one of the absolute worst, uh, salmon and halibut on a grill because of the fat content. But when you use solid fuel, to get back to your point, you add not only the grease that's accumulating from the cooking of the meat, but also then the the ash and the soot and so forth that is part of the cooking process. This probably accumulates anywhere from three to five times faster and in greater volume than just, say, a a, a regular gas-fired charbroiler. So Hmm. the NFPA has determined that a... It's suggested, but it's a very strong suggestion that the uh, exhaust system should be cleaned. It says inspected, but it should be cleaned every month when it comes to a solid fuel cooking appliance and every three months when it comes to a gas-fired charbroiler-type appliance uh, because of the uh, tremendously large amount of uh, material that are accumulated in the ductwork uh, that are all pulled up by the fan, of course. So... That's why solid fuel is real problematic when it comes to... Uh, the other point, you know, I'll go on to one more, is when you're dealing with solid fuel, you have no shutoff gas and electric. You just simply turn off your fuel source. <clears throat> but with uh, solid fuel, you can't do that. And uh, additionally, if some young fella is uh, cooking and he gets a little rambunctious uh, cleaning or poking the fire we can get all sorts of embers. If you've ever poked a campfire, you mm-hmm. get all sorts of embers going up into the exhaust system. Those embers are probably the singular, well, certainly they're a 99% uh, singular uh, reason why fires can start in a duct. Uh, the only other very rare occasions they can start in other ways, but those are very ex- exotic but uh, for a fire to start in a duct, it requires a heat source, and that can be provided by embers from a solid fuel fire. I've had several of those. It's not un- unusual that uh, a, a solid fuel fire, especially one that's, it doesn't even have to have a great amount of grease in it. Even mm-hmm. less than a month of proper cleaning, it can still have enough grease to, to uh, propagate a fire. So well, I'm, they are I'm a problem. Complex. Solid fuel are a problem, yeah. I'm glad you brought that up because there's even different types of filters and everything else. And uh, I'm back. I'm sorry. I had to take a break. To, the um, This hotel was calling me uh, to tell me my transportation was canceled, and so I had to work on that. But anyway, 
bottom line have to is, pay your uh, bill there, Mike. Yeah, I, do I have to do that too? Jesus, <laughs> gosh. Anyway, I mean, you know, actually, it's uh, we're on the radio, man. I mean, uh, I ought to get something, you know. Anyway, well, here's the deal. Uh, we uh, we have other uh, rays that that uh, fires are not always duck fires. I mean, you've uh, you've you've taught us, and you've talked to them. There are electrical well, if electrical wiring is improperly run through um, through. Uh, 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 Different duct systems, if they have combustibles too close to them, there's in fact 96 has actually um, requirements that there there oh no combustibles can be within um, it, so so many inches of uh, the ductwork. Correct. Inches. I had an interesting one at a restaurant down in the southwest uh, where they they had a char a gas fired char broiler. And it was within three inches of what we call the backsplash, which is a generally a stainless steel sheets of metal that mm-hmm. that are behind the uh, the cooking appliances. And the mm-hmm. small difficulty with this place was that they had used uh, behind the backsplash. They had reinforced the wall with plywood, running uh, horizontally, if you will, eight foot, four foot high, two sheets, eight feet total, and they were held on by two by fours. And the mm-hmm. two-by-fours were 10 feet long, so there was a two-foot gap at the top of this wall. And, of course, the clearance to combustible issue was was not existent. The, the wood finally caught fire, and, of course, with a two-foot opening at the top made a lovely chimney. So they wow. created themselves a, a wooden chimney, and uh, which effectively burnt the building down. And uh, we found out later through the investigation that the contractor who did this had built 40 of them. Oh, I'm not sure how exactly that, Albert. I never did find out how that came to conclusion there, but I didn't hear of that chain having any more fires. So uh, I was, I've always heard sort of an ear out for that particular one. Another so one that was, was where there was... Go ahead. I was going to say that was just ticking time bombs in on the other one. Oh, yeah. Right. They may still be there for all I know. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> I had another one where they had reinforced the wall, two-by-four wall, with uh, uh, probably a four-foot sheet of two-by-ten, and they'd put the the salamander, the sort of upright charbroiler, they'd attached it to the wall with the wood, and, of course, the heat radiated into that, caught fire, and burnt the billets down. So there was a bunch of those, too. So I guess they changed those out. Uh, Again, only cure for stupid is pain. So that's what happens. They paid a lot of it money. Like a, it, it sounds like a game, game of Thrones thing. The only cure for stupid is pain. <laughs> yeah. Well, one of the I know one of the things that I like to be able to do is when I go in and I look at a fire, is I bring a a lot of experience, um, trying to see how. Perhaps there were things that took place that aren't logical. It's difficult to formulate hypotheses on foolishness, but uh, you see a lot of that in restaurants and uh, the after effects. I have a couple of them right now that are, you, you wouldn't have realized somebody would have been this, this dumb and not have assumed that uh, leaving a gas leak underneath your charbroiler would have been a bad idea, uh, things like that. <laughs> And yeah. uh, and they knew they had it, and it was just a filthy mess. And uh, 
amazing, just amazing things go on. And, and so, anyhow, you had other questions? I, I should let you stay on topic. No, that's fine. Uh, and Donna, do you have something that you wanted to ask him, or do you want me to continue? <laughs> Uh, you continue because I've been sitting back here in awe of both of you in our prior shows because a, a commercial kitchen fire is, is its own animal. I mean, it really is, and it's something that is fascinating to me. Yeah, well, you know, it's, it's, uh, it is a specialty. I mean, uh, and, and uh, Phil literally uh, wrote a book on it so and, and investigations, too, and Thank you for allowing us, uh, uh, Phil, to Kirk and I, to contribute to your last volume that you have out. Um, and um, I really think that, that all fire investigators should buy it because, frankly, a lot of the fire investigators, Phil, don't even know the nomenclature. They have no idea what they're looking at. Yeah. Well, that's what we try to – and I, I, I even, in this line of work, know that there are others who know more than I do about specific issues. I mentioned earlier about engineered hoods. Uh, mm-hmm. you, need to, you need to be qualified in the, the care and feeding of maintenance or of engineered hoods. The same with fire suppression. I've got a, an, a, an expert who's just got it in his blood with Don Stewart, and uh, mm-hmm. he's just a walking encyclopedia on uh, fire suppression. I know you've got people as well. Uh, one point I'd like to bring up uh, that fire investigators might find interesting is the about I'm going to go back twenty odd years. They okay. developed a product. Uh, they developed a product called uh, the generic name is duct wrap, and uh, what right. this material does is it it in theory is supposed to uh, be wrapped around the duct, and then if there is a fire then the, the heat won't radiate out of the duct and because this wrap will absorb the heat. So therefore, and it got a listing of uh, zero clearance, so you can stack cardboard boxes up against it if you like. Well, mm-hmm. I remember at the time I was uncomfortable, and, but only time can bear you out. Now what we're finding, and I have photographs to prove it, is that this material prevents the duct from radiating heat out, but if there's a large accumulation of grease within the duct, the fire is so intense that the metal is just totally compromised and just turns to tinfoil and collapses uh, because it's got the duct wrap on it. So you're sort of, forgive me, damned if you do and damned if you don't, uh, I'm right. not saying anything against duct wrap. It's that it just, you know, this is a factor that takes place. I have a high-rise fire, and uh, just the duct work, multi-multi-million-dollar fire, and the duct work just disintegrated uh, because of this material. So when an investigator comes across some of these things, you know, it's it's not... It, it's helpful if they would be kind enough to communicate with the 96 committee because we on the committee can only make adjustments to, you know, the, the real world if we hear about situations. And this is a, just, I only use that as one example. But on the 96 committee, we appreciate feedback from those in the field who have experience with um, 
you know, various situations that are sort of outside the box, if you will. And uh, so yeah, you know, and, yeah, I, and the wrapped, the wrapped. Uh, well, it's wonderful when it's wrapped and it's wrapped properly. Um, I've I've worked fires before where um, they they've had they've been compromised. The wrap has been compromised compromised mm-hmm. by uh, like uh, other builders or you know if somebody goes in to uh, repair something in the in the ceiling of the restaurant or something and they and they rip it or tear it and that and then that loses their um, their clear their clearance to zero clearance i mean if they are yeah. if they pull it down are they yeah have you seen that too oh yeah i've, I've got pictures again in my class i show uh, pictures of uh, the, the people have been very generous to me in sending me all sorts of what we call them dirty pictures and uh, i have uh-huh. all sorts of dirty pictures of all sorts of different things and one of them is uh where people have torn the duct wrap off looking for the access panel because they were supposed to clean the duct work and they couldn't find the access because it was covered with duct wrap. But they didn't know where, you know, they should have been looking for a bulge, I suppose. But uh, <laughs> anyway, I've got, it just looks like somebody's just been through there with with a wrecking ball and just torn that stuff apart. So, uh, so it's too bad, but it happens all the time. Again, hopefully yeah, you don't have a fire and uh, there's not going to be a problem. You never know. So It's yeah, a challenge. Well, that's it. <clears throat> Go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, no, that's okay. So, go ahead. Now I was going to ask was, you again. Go ahead. Go ahead, Don. Yeah. Well, that's something that you said earlier that I just wanted uh, for anyone that's joined in to say, uh, have you say again, is talking about uh, when we're talking about commercial kitchen fires, this is a place that is supposed to have fire. Uh, so for fire investigators out there, um, that is problematic at times if they don't understand the system, right, Phil? Donna, that's a great point. Uh, I have a case, uh, I had one recently, where my my thinking is that these people have had more than one fire, uh, and I mean seriously, fire. Uh, so what did that first fire do to the integrity of the exhaust system because again like it wasn't there wasn't duct wrap on the exhaust but the the duct had to withstand a pretty serious fire it, and it may not have caused structural damage to the building and so the restaurant chose to continue using the system the exhaust system that is and uh or it could be that the fire suppression system activated but not before there was a, a lot of damage. <laughs> Nevertheless, if they decide to continue to use the, the duct, and this is a generic statement, uh, after a, a serious fire, then that ductwork isn't doesn't have the stability that it would have had previously. And so the second fire that takes place uh, might have, therefore, greater damage because of the weakness to it from the first fire. Now, how do you sort of put that together when you're mm-hmm. looking at a claim uh, is a challenge and uh, it's an open question so uh, you need to know as a fire investigator you need to be able to recognize uh, the condition the system should be in and uh, whether or not the condition it is in uh, indicates one or possibly two fires and that's I think and unless you're an experienced metallurgist 
a matter of experience, just having seen them. It's hard to hard to pinpoint how that happened or how how you can tell. It's not particularly definitive. Well, right. Anyway, just a challenge for fire investigators. But the exhaust system, to answer your question, Donna, was that the exhaust system is supposed to be installed in a way that will withstand a fire. Now, having said that, the fire suppression system is supposed to put the fire out. Right. Uh, and in a lot of cases, uh, a number of cases, we found that the fire suppression system activated, but too late, because the fan drew the fire up through the ductwork to the roof, and on the roof where the where the duct penetrated the roof, the clearance wasn't appropriate. The fire then radiated out into the wooden bracing that the contractor used to close the hole around where the duct went through the roof, and that caught the rest of the roof on fire, and away we go to the races. So they've got nothing wrong downstairs, but the roof's gone. So and that mm-hmm. happens a lot. I, I, I would, uh, you're talking about the sound of a exhaust fire, Mike, before. And, yeah, that's uh, right. I did, how many times have people come in and when you're talking to witnesses and some guy was driving by and he stops by and say, you know, your roof is on fire and the restaurant is still merely doing their business. So uh, right. they had no idea, but uh, the fact, I had one in Chicago once that they thought it was one restaurant and uh, it was actually another restaurant because it was, the ductwork ran through a, the whole building and came out on the opposite side of the block. So, our department came pouring into one uh, outlet and found out later that it wasn't that outlet, it was the other outlet. and Everybody was merely eating their dinner, eating their steaks and whatever. So uh, yeah. these things happen. The restaurant made itself not know that they, in fact, had a fire. Uh, salamanders, uh, upright broilers, are typical of that because the fire is up above and it's sucked right into the hood cooks never see it, and uh, they had no idea that they even had a fire going. So, which is why you need to have a well-maintained fire suppression system. Right, and it, as I've had some try to put them out with milk and throw yep. milk on milk. them, yep. and they throw, they throw, they use ABC extinguishers and they pour water on grease fires, which makes them entirely worse, and oh my yeah. gosh. You know, yeah. so that's where the proper training comes in and the proper cleaning comes in, and it is the responsibility of the building, I mean, the restaurant uh, owner to to have them cleaned uh, appropriately, and uh, and that's in '96 also, uh, oh, unless yeah. they find it away. '96 um, is so, a mature document, what I call a mature document, and it's 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 married with the 17A which is the uh chemical based fire suppression systems for exhaust systems the two of them are are related in fact we're going to bring the two together i believe that's what the NFPA's plan is uh so that they'll be working in tandem with each other but right. you know if people follow these then you your your safety increases if you don't follow them then you've got consequences probably that may have to be paid so uh, well, I'm going to tell you, we really appreciate you, uh, Phil. The time sped by here. You're a very interesting man. You, you've written these. Uh, they, you can get this, your, your books through Phil Auckland, A-C-K-L-A-N-D dot com. Uh, 
Phil is common spelling. Uh, and Hello. so... Uh, uh, Mike? And, <laughs> Philip. It's Phil, yeah. not Bill. Yeah. Uh, Bill. I said Phil. I said Phil. Yeah. Did you? Okay. He's from yeah. St. Louis. He doesn't know how to talk. Yeah. That's right. He's in New York right now. That's so right. He's in New York. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and being in New York, I can look out the window and see a whole bunch of non-compliant... Uh, uh, exhaust uh, dust work, <laughs> you know, 47 floors the city up. Of New York, the city of New York has tried valiantly to, uh, my biggest fire, that went early in my career, my biggest fire was downtown New York, and I know that, uh, and I followed the way they've tried to improve their standards, I know they've tried very hard. Theirs are far more stringent in many ways than the 96 is. Uh, so they've tried because of the density of population to sure. impose, but you know, just people will be people, and it costs money they don't want to spend. So you end up with issues, and that's unfortunate. So, well, well, thank you for for joining us today, Phil, and stay yeah. on the line. Then um, go ahead, Mike. I know you want to talk about next week. I just wanted to talk about next week. We're going to be uh, giving you an, another one of the shows from Speaking of Fire. Uh, and uh, frankly, I'm in New York right now, and I don't have my list. So there oh. you go. But, so <laughs> well, never mind nice, then. <laughs> yeah, so it's got to be a nice show, though. I know that. Okay. So, so come back, and when you come back, I want you to come back to speaking of fire. Okay. Have a great week. Thanks. Thank you for tuning into Speaking of Fire. Please join your hosts, Mike Schlattman and Donna Ingram, for another edition of our program next Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Remember to be careful this week and every week.